much of life we go through, if you're like me, you look for the spectacular, don't you? You look for the extraordinary. These moments of grandness and bigness that can somehow captivate our hearts in the spectacular. That's what we look for. But in reality, much of life isn't driven by the spectacular or the extraordinary. But our lives are actually accumulation of faithfulness in these small moments. That's really what we look at when we look at our lives today is we, we can point to maybe a few extraordinary moments or a few moments of the spectacular, but it's this accumulative effect of being faithful where God has you in the moment that allows you to be used by God in an extraordinary way. It's being faithful to God in the ordinary that makes an extraordinary life. And today we're going to look at two examples of Christ-like faithfulness. Christ-like faithfulness. That's what I want us to see in the passage. That there's examples of Christ-like faithfulness. And those examples that the Apostle Paul points to in Philippians chapter 2 are examples that are given so that we would emulate that faithfulness. So that we, in turn, would be examples of Christ-like faithfulness to the world today. And I'll let you know it's unspectacular. It is, in a very broad scope, extraordinary. But in the moment by moment, if you're looking to be wowed, you're not going to be. But you will be used as you cling to the power of the Holy Spirit and the example of Jesus Christ that's ultimately set before us. So if you... I'm a history buff. One of the things I love to study is war history. And so the, the kick that I'm on now is World War II. And in World War II, there were these men that were known as the dispatch riders. And they had to get creative with how they get messages across enemy lines. It actually started in World War I. And these men, the dispatch riders, had a very simple job. It was taking the message from point A to point B. And these men were actually looked down by much of the rest of the army because they were given a higher rank because they had to communicate with commanders of higher rank than them. And so a lot of the infantrymen in the other army believed that these guys had a one-up on them and they didn't really deserve it. But really their job was, while it seemingly looked easy, it was actually very difficult. You, you take a message from point A to point B, but you had to do so in the midst of enemy lines, in the midst of enemy fire, and you had to ride a motorcycle could, that could very well break down on your way going to deliver the message. And so these men were trained, if they were caught, to swallow the communication or to burn it immediately. And they only carried the message, a pistol, in case they could defend themselves, which actually, you know, when you're in the midst of enemy fire and in between enemy line, it doesn't do very good. And they had a small toolkit with a few spare parts in case the common parts that were on the bike went out. But these men did the spectacular in the ordinary. If it wasn't for these messages going from point A to point B in helping the Allied forces know what was ahead, then much of the war would have been lost. 
And so these brave and faithful men were used in an extraordinary way to carry this message. And the message that ultimately, the messages that ultimately helped us win those wars. And what you have in the examples of Epaphroditus and of Timothy were really just messengers. They were carrying the message from point A to point B. Epaphroditus, you read about him one time in the Bible. That's a pretty amazing thing. This guy gets his name in the Bible. And what did he do? He carried a message from Philippi to Rome. It was so crucial, though. You know, Paul envisioned himself very accurately in the midst of war, a spiritual battle. And Paul was a good commander, and he was imprisoned. And you would think that because Paul was in prison, that the enemy would gain ground. But no, Paul found it a way by faithful men and women to communicate his message to the churches, to communicate the efforts to the churches in order to see the power of darkness being pushed back by the kingdom of light. And so Epaphroditus in this moment was taking a gift, a financial offering to Paul because Paul needed it. In fact, many people died in Roman prisons because you had to pay for your own room and board. And so the Church of Philippi was his sponsor. They were paying for his room and board. They brought much-needed medical supplies and things that Paul needed. And there was an entourage that Epaphroditus was leading from Philippi into Rome to take Paul what he needed to bring. And while he was on his way there, we see that, that Epaphroditus was violently ill and almost died. And so this man risked his life to take a message and to take the goods and services that were delivered from the church from point A to point B. It was a very ordinary task, but there was an extraordinary reality behind it, is that God would use it in an incredible way. If it wasn't for Epaphroditus, we wouldn't have the book of Philippians. Very important that we walk in those moments of faithfulness when God calls us to. And so, in this passage, when you look through it, part of the reason why we study verse by verse through books of the Bible is because when you get to a passage like this, your, my tendency is just to gloss over it, right? It's just to kind of pass by it, think that Paul's doing some housekeeping here, so I'm just going to skip this passage. And, and that's what we would do if we didn't study verse by verse through books of the Bible and we weren't really forced to take a hard look at what's really being said here and what, what it means to our lives because there's something very powerful here that if we gloss over, we miss entirely. And that is that the Apostle Paul wanted to give us these concrete examples of people that point to Jesus Christ. Concrete examples of people that point to Jesus Christ. The book of Philippians up to this point, man, has been gangbusters. I mean, we see these incredible passages. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is a memory verse right there. You see that Paul says, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work will bring it to completion 
in the day of Christ Jesus. That the God who started this thing called salvation is the God who completes this thing called salvation and He ultimately delivers us safely in the day of Christ Jesus until Jesus Christ returns. And those are memory verses and those things will preach. But now Paul gets into this travel itinerary. Which, he really says two things. Okay, Timothy's going to come later. I need him. And I'm sending Epaphroditus early because he got sick. That's really what you read there. But Paul had something so much more in mind. And what Paul had in mind for us was to see men who work out their salvation with fear and trembling. What Paul had in mind for us were examples of the humility of Jesus Christ. Remember Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. You look at these, this incredible example that's set before us and the ultimate example of Jesus Christ, and you think, how can I possibly be like Him? How can I possibly ever attain that level of perfection? Well, you can't. And that's why I thank God for faithful men that the Bible uses to point us to faithful repentance so that we can walk and be faithful examples. One of the things I noticed early on in my kid's life is that I'm an example whether I realize it or not. I'm an example whether I realize it or not. I have no choice but to be an example for my children. Anybody else realize that? Anybody have kids, right? Anybody realize that you are an example? Your kids are mimicking every move. Now, here's the thing. There's a few things that I I think I do well, but they don't really mimic those things. It's the things that I do poorly. It's the things that I don't do very well that they mimic the most. It's the behavior that I would like not to be a part of my life that I find that my children actually imitate the most. I'll give you an example. My, my son Camden, he loves, he loves, I mean, he loves to tease his sisters. He loves it. I mean, it, I was like Camden when I was a kid. I was probably a lot, lot worse than Camden when I was a kid. And I think to myself, where did, you know, when he's doing, I'm thinking, where did Camden get this? Where did he get this? Carrie, like, what did, what did you do wrong? No, it's not her, it's me. And, and so I notice it when I will lovingly try to tease my little girls Adeline and Lily, and sometimes it's just daddy's just having fun with them, and sometimes it is like, daddy, I've had enough of you. And so I'll tease my little girls, and then, and then my son will see what I've just done, and immediately, like not missing a beat, he'll imitate it, just right there. And then the girls, instead of getting mad at him, they'll look to me, and they'll be like, dad, look, look what you did. Look, look what you did. This is Camden, and he is you, and you're responsible for this. And I really am. I'm responsible because I'm setting forth for my son a bad example in provoking my little girls to anger, which is not a good thing. And Camden knows how to do that multiplied by 10. And so we've got a problem. And so that's something that I really realize for the sake and for the good of our family and for the well-being of... Uh, of um, my children and their love for each other, there's something that God has to do in my heart 
so that he can also do that in my son's heart. And we could see our family changed. Being faithful examples. I want you to know, parents notwithstanding, I want you to know that you are an example right now in this world, whether you like it or not. If you bear the name Christian, if you carry that name, Christian, you are an example. And the world is watching you. What do they see? What does the world see in the example that you set forth? Is it an example that points to Jesus? Or is it an example that points to other things? If it's an example that points to Jesus, it says that he's the only one that satisfies me. He's the one that I find all my joy in. He's the one that I worship. If it points to other things, then you dishonor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in your example. So whether you like it or not, whether you realize you signed up for it or not, you are an example. And it's not about meeting the minimum requirement that's, that, that is the example to say, okay, I, one day I'll become an example. You are an example. And now the call is, how do we live and be the examples that God has called us to be? So as we read through this passage, I want to point out three things that's given to us by the characteristics and qualities of these men. Number one is that examples of Jesus Christ have an available heart. An available heart. Number two, that they have a compassionate heart. And number three is that they have a faithful heart. Number one, the available heart. You know, the dispatch riders that I mentioned before, they would often spend a lot of time waiting. In fact, that's why they were looked down on, because they would just sit on those bikes and they would just wait. But while they were waiting, you know what they were doing? They were being available. They were being available for the message to come, and as the message came, they were immediately get on that bike and go where they were called to go. They had to be available to what their commanding army and officer needed them to be available for. Uh, A faithful example is one that is available to God first. You're available to God first. Look at the passage with me right here in the text. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. So Paul wants to send Timothy and his hope is in the Lord Jesus. And that's because Timothy is in the Lord Jesus. Because Timothy's availability is actually given first, not to the Apostle Paul, not first to the churches, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we often think, man, I'd love to do some incredibly big things for God. You can never do big things for God unless you've been transformed by God. You'll never be able to do the the extraordinary if you haven't been transformed in the ordinary. And Timothy is an example of that. Paul watched Timothy's conversion. He saw Timothy go from old to new. And Timothy first gave his heart to the Lord. The Apostle Paul spells out what this looks like. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And Timothy 
is born again. His heart had been reborn. Like there's a transformation that happens to where old Timothy changes into new Timothy. And the difference is Jesus steps in and converts him. Like there's a a lot of spirituality in the world today. But the spirituality in the world today has very little to do or anything to do with conversion. Changing. If you want to be used by God spiritually, you have to be given over to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him. There's no other way. There's no other way. We, we, we often want to do the work of God without God doing the work in us. You know, you know what it is? Because God doing the work in us is hard. <laughs> it is hard. Because that work of change is getting all that garbage out of your soul that doesn't belong there, that is there because of your sin and your shortcomings, that is there because you have rejected Jesus Christ. And when we claim that we want to do the work of God without God doing the work in us, we put the blinders on and think that somehow we're spiritual because we do the right stuff. It's called legalism. It's, it's doing things for God without being transformed by God. It's thinking that somehow God loves us because we do these things for Him instead of believing that God loves us because of what Christ has done for us. In Christ, Paul says, I hope to send Timothy. He uses that word send three times. You'll notice in that passage that word sin three times. So you won't see the word available in that passage. But listen, if you're going to be sent, you've got to be available. And Timothy is available. And he is sent by Paul for the purposes of God in the church. Epaphroditus as well. Sent by God. Available to him. Secondarily, if you're going to be available, you have to be available to others. So, many of us can can say, okay, I am available to God. I am, like, when God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. Like, if if he calls me on the phone and says, hey, I want you to do this, then then go do it. Now, here's the thing. God doesn't really work like that, does he? God doesn't work by telling us in these very broad areas of life, here's what you're called to do. Go and do this. Go and mow Pastor Ryan's lawn this week or something like that. He doesn't work in that way. But God often works through other people in our lives by showing us how we can serve other people. Because the service of God is the service of God's people, isn't it? The way we are called to serve God is to serve God's church, is to serve the lost and broken people of the world around us. You know, Jesus actually puts this into great perspective for us in Matthew 25. He says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. And then he unpacks what that is. He says, I was thirsty and you didn't give me water. I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was sick, and you didn't tend to my needs. I was in prison, and you didn't come to visit me. That's what he says in Matthew 25. 
And then they say, Lord, Lord, we didn't know you were sick. We didn't know you were hungry. We didn't know you were thirsty. And then Jesus says, there have been people that have been thirsty that I've put in your path and you glossed over them. There have been people that have been hungry that I've put in your path that have been brokenhearted, that have been sick. And your mind and your heart was focused on me, 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 me. And you've neglected to be available to those that I've put right there in front of you. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, that, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty big statement right there. Depart from me. I never knew you. God's people serve the people of God. God has called us to be an example of faithfulness to the world around us. So that way we can give people the ultimate need that they have, and that's of Jesus Christ. When we've got this mindset of self-importance, it absolutely kills our availability. If we've got this mindset of my own self-importance, then it kills our availability to serve other people, to care for the world around us. And this mindset of self-importance says that I'm going to be concerned with me first and everybody else gets the leftovers. And what that, relate, what that relates to is, um, God, you, you, we, you work on my terms, I don't work on yours. Self-importance is calling God to revolve around your life rather than you revolving around God's. And it absolutely kills, absolutely kills a vibrant, life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you're asking Jesus to be who he's not. And it absolutely kills your relationship with others. Because you're asking the world around you to bend towards your needs. That's why Paul says about Timothy that he is concerned for the welfare and well-being of others. That there's no one like him. That there are few like Timothy. And that ultimately so many are out for their own self-interest and their own selfish gain. And not... For Jesus Christ. Paul says, Timothy, Timothy exists for Jesus. Timothy didn't have a self important mindset. In fact, Timothy was probably more self forgetful than self important. He considered himself last because he sought God's first and his people second. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will constantly be crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. We may pass by them, preoccupied with our more important tasks. It's a strange fact that Christians frequently consider their work so important and so urgent that they will not allow anything to disturb them. But it is part of the discipline of humility that we must not spare our hand where it can perform a service, and that we do not assume our schedule is our own to manage, but allow it to be rearranged by God. If, if there's anyone, anything that I want to hold on to and say, mine, you know what it is? My schedule. But you know what God says? Mine! Your time is mine. It is not your own. The time that you have on this earth is limited. So use it wisely 
Use it to be a faithful witness and example of Jesus Christ. Number two is that we have a compassionate heart. Timothy again gives us this example. He doesn't consider himself more important than others, as it says in Philippians 2.4. He is genuinely concerned with the welfare and well-being of others. Those people, you know, when I'm talking about this, you, you know those people are rare. When you think about who in your life is genuinely concerned for you, and not trying to get something from you, not trying to get you on board with this, not trying to sell you something, not trying to, not trying to use you for one of their own purposes. Those people can be very rare. In the church, there should be plenty. There should be plenty of people that are concerned genuinely for the welfare of others. You know what it often looks like? It, it often is just listening to someone, getting to know their stories, getting to know their hurts, getting to know their joys, getting to know their sorrows, getting to know the way that God has shaped their life and why they are the way they are and how you can minister to them the person and work of Jesus Christ by the power of God's Holy Spirit. A heart of compassion. Remember when we were doing a community group one time, this was years ago, and when we did this community group, there was a, a, a couple in the group that was just really going through the ringers. And on this particular time, they ended up kind of monopolizing the time of the group, right? You, you got the group, you got your agenda, you want to get through it, and then all of a sudden, like, crisis mode happens, and we've got to devote our energies towards this. And I remember in that group, we just said, hey, we're, we're going to devote our energies towards this in that moment. And I remember someone that was relatively new to the group, and I knew fairly well, they came afterwards and they said, they were talking about the situation, and they said, you know, my wife and I, we're not really mercy people. Saying that, like, it's going to be hard for us to really help these people. I'm like, oh, really? Not mercy people? Have you read the Beatitudes? Because the Beatitudes, mercy is not a spiritual gift that's given to some. But when you read the Beatitudes, mercy is something that is... Actually, if you don't have it, you're not going to get it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So you can't just pass off this mercy thing on everybody else. If you call your name a Christian, and you don't have mercy, you should plead for it. You should beg for it. You should say, God, change my heart. Go back to square one with the availability and say, God, be Lord over my life so I can be available for you to give compassion where compassion is needed. Jesus gives us this perfect example in Mark 1, 40 and 42 through 42. A leper. The leper had these skin problems. They were known as unclean. You didn't want to catch what they had. They were outcasts of society. You couldn't let them in your community because their disease would spread rapidly. There were people that were misunderstood. A leper came to Jesus. That says a lot in that time. A leper came to him. And what did he do? He implored them. And he kneeled before him. And he said, if you will, can you make me clean? Jesus moves with pity. Read the word compassion there. Stretched out his hand and he touched him and he said to him, I am willing. I will be clean. Be clean. Jesus was available. 
Jesus was compassionate. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. This is the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. It's hard not to be compassionate if you've received compassion. Right? You know the, 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 the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Well, it, it, it's reversed. Where healed people heal people. Know that. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. Healed people heal people. Because people who have been healed know that they can be an instrument of healing for others. Because they know what it feels like to be broken. And they want to see wholeness and reconciliation take place. And so they're people of compassion. Jesus took pity on you. He took pity on you, not just the leper. And he was willing. And you were cleansed of your transgressions. Number three, the faithful heart. These men have a faithful heart. Listen to the words that Paul uses for Epaphroditus. He says he's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and a minister. Right? Are those good descriptions of you? I would love for those words to be on my tombstone. That's a, that's a good, those are good things to be known by. And Epaphroditus was a faithful minister on the behalf of Jesus Christ. Timothy, he says, he's worth his weight in gold. He's proven his worth. He's credible. He says that he's my son in the faith that served me with the gospel. Paul himself has benefited from the ministry of Timothy. Like, that's what Timothy's known for in the Bible. Ministering to the super apostle Paul. Isn't that good? He is a faithful minister of the gospel to Paul. Now, here's where the spectacular can, should fade away from us. Timothy and Epaphroditus weren't perfect. Timothy is known as someone who is timid and weak. That's why Paul says that, you, that, 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 that we are given a spirit of faith and not fear. That's why Paul says that, he, he says a little bit later, drink a little bit of wine to deal with your stomach problem. Timothy was timid and weak. He was fearful, even in his pastoring and ministry. But Paul, used, Paul, Paul knew that he had to preach the gospel to him and that, and that Timothy could be used by God. And we find himself, ourselves reading about Timothy as a faithful example of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus couldn't finish the mission that was lay, laid out for him. He, he couldn't get the stuff from point A to point B without getting sick and almost dying in the middle. I mean, what a failure. You see his weaknesses right there. But Paul takes this opportunity to single out Epaphroditus and say, no, he's a faithful minister. He ministered to my need. God used him. And Epaphroditus faithfully carried this letter back to the church in Philippi so that they could read it and so that we have the Word of God before us today for our instruction, for our life-giving power. They're ordinary examples of faithfulness. 
You know, one of, the, one of the things that I think, and this is a direct challenge to this generation, so if you're my age or younger, maybe a little bit even older, I want to I challenge you because one of the things that we look for in our examples is perfection. And let me tell you, we're just not going to find it. We're looking for people that are perfect. And we say, ah, oh, show me a perfect person, I'll follow them. I think it's a way that we gloss over our, 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 our own shortcomings and weaknesses because we don't want to change. So we, we fail to look at faithful examples because we're looking for perfect examples. And what God gives us today are imperfect examples that point to the perfection of Jesus. And so I want to challenge you, friends, who are examples of faithfulness and what How do you allow them into your life to shape and to change you and to mold your life into the image of Jesus Christ? They're not going to be perfect, but faithful, but faithful. Secondarily, we think that God can't use me unless I'm this better version of me, right? You think God can't use me unless I get to this, unless I meet this minimum requirement. But really, the Bible says no such thing. The Bible says the moment that you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and you begin to walk in repentance, God uses you to push back darkness and to push forward his life and works in your life in ordinary, extraordinary ways. The moment you say, God, change me. We need faithful examples of repentance before us. Find the men and find the women who consistently know that they're sinners before a holy God and say, God, change me. Don't find the people who think they're perfect or have it all together or presume to tell you that they have it all together. Find the people that faithfully walk in repentance and aren't afraid to point you towards faithful repentance. Find those people and emulate them. Chan and Stacy, today, Crosspoint, as a whole, turns 15 years old. Chan and Stacy Kilgore, um, uh, the, the lead pastor at Crosspoint Lake Known and founder of our church, um, uh, is a man that I look to as a faithful example of repentance. It was about five years ago, I remember I got a phone call from, from Chan, and Chan says, hey Ryan, um, uh, I'd, I'd like for you to, to meet me in my office in a few minutes. And, and I was like, okay. Um, and then Stacy said, hey, I'm going to be in Chan's office in a few minutes. We want you to meet us in the office. And I'm like, okay, Chan and Stacy want me to meet them in the office, all right? That's kind of weird. Usually just Chan says, meet me in the office. Now Chan and Stacy are saying, meet me in the office. And so I, I, I enter in the office, and, and both of them have been actually crying. They've had a hard day. They've had a hard month. They've had a hard three months that I found out. And they were just at a breaking point, And they needed counsel. Now, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of premarital, postmarital, crisis marital, whatever it is, counseling. I've never sat before my pastor and had to counsel him in that way. But you know what it showed me? It confirmed what I already knew. Chan and Stacy aren't perfect. But they're faithfully repentant. And God uses them in a mighty way. If you will stand as a faithful, repentant witness of the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, 
God will use you in an extraordinary way, in a mighty way, to be an example. This is the way that God has called us to live. But ultimately, we point to the example in Jesus Christ. And the example in Jesus Christ is perfect. And I want to I point us there right now and say, unless you see these things in Jesus, you will never have them in yourself. And that's number one. Jesus is available. Jesus is available. Romans 5.8 says, For while we were yet sinners, Christ died. When you needed Him most, Jesus came through for you. Number two, Jesus is compassionate. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. As a father shows compassion to his children, I've gotten much compassion from my Father, and it's pointed me to the faithful example of my Heavenly Father. Number three, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Revelation 19, verse 11, shows us the ultimate and most grand picture of Jesus' faithfulness, where He is a triumphant King who's proven His worth across all time, in all people, in all places, pointing us to Jesus. John, the apostle, says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. You see a white horse in heaven? It means victory, by the way. The one sitting on it. The one sitting on it. There's somebody on that white horse. So if you see a white horse in heaven and it's victory, there's going to be a person sitting on that white horse, and that's Jesus, by the way, who's victorious. And you know what his name is? His name is Faithful and True. Even when you are faithless, the Bible says that he is faithful. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like the flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he, himself, and he has a name that no one else knows by him, but himself. That's the holiness of God. There's a name that we cannot know of him, but he knows it. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were flowing, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron. And he'll tread the winepress of, uh, of fury and of wrath. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords, faithful and true. If our example doesn't point to that example, then friends, we are not a faithful example. Here's the good news you can evaluate your past, and you could look at it and you could say, God, I need help here, and right now, God will help you. Because He takes the past and He changes it. And he makes all things new. Because today you can begin to walk the journey of faithful repentance. 
And here's how you do so. King of kings and Lord of lords, I belong to you. Like the thief on the cross before he died, crying out to Jesus. Jesus was there and saying, surely you'll be with me in paradise. Right now, anything and everything can change. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of trust in Jesus. And if you pray that prayer, any of you pray that prayer, come and join us in communion as we take that broken body and shed blood and we remember what the Lord has done. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are faithful and true. That you're the perfect example that we will never be. But God, you point us to faithful examples that we're called to emulate knowing that our job isn't to be a perfect example, but a faithful example that points to you, Jesus, as our perfect Savior. God, right now, it's a call to surrender, to say that, Lord, we want to be available to you. We want to be compassionate for you. And we want to be faithful lovers of you and faithful witnesses of your grace to this world. Would you change us, God? Would you show us what repentance looked like? Father, would you help us even repent from the things that we haven't been able to of yet? Now the things that you've called us to lay aside and to lay upon you, Lord, we've refused to. Father, would you help us so that we could walk in your truth and we could see the mighty King who's faithful over all. In Jesus' name the church says, Amen. We're going to take communion, remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I want to invite our servers up. As the communion table is prepared, if you've prayed that prayer, come and join us in that time of communion because you belong to Jesus, the family of God. Stand with me as we worship.